Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I want to continue and attempt to bring this particular um, segment in what I've been, we've been dealing with up to this point to a close by God's grace. I've been trying to close it for a few weeks, but it hasn't seemed to be. We've been dealing with the concept of grace to help. Everyone say grace to help. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy or to obtain mercy. Then it says to find grace to help. So you obtain mercy, but you find grace. In other words, there's a pursuit after grace. And in terms of the scripture, there, when you find it, you will find an effect of it called help. Grace has certain effects or outcomes in the life of the believer. One of those is help or divine assistance. God comes in and he divinely helps you in a particular matter. And I've been discussing with you, this is now I think the seventh session, various dispositions or principles that you could factor into your life by which you could facilitate the help of the Lord. One of those were, for example, the Holy Spirit is called the helper, the parakletos. So the help you need from God comes via the person of the Holy Spirit. Then we said then, if that is the case, do nothing to offend Him, do nothing to grieve Him, do nothing to frustrate Him, because if you adopt any of the carnal characteristics listed fast in Ephesians chapter 4, that, that clearly say, if you adopt these kinds of things, like for example, bitterness or unforgiveness towards somebody, you've just frustrated the Holy Ghost. It's, it's pointless on your, you being on your knees saying, God help me, when you've just frustrated the very means by which help is administrated to you. Okay? So don't offend the Holy Ghost. Don't grieve Him. Don't frustrate Him by your behavior because you are going to quelch and squash literally the help that is designed and destined for you. In recent, and we, we listed seven other such dispositions, things that you could adopt in your life by which you facilitate the help of the Lord. This last factor is taking long. The last factor is you could facilitate the help of God in your life by helping your leader. You helping your, your leader. I looked at, I won't go to the scriptures because of time, but I looked at several scriptures where the word help occurs in the Old Testament in reference to David and his men. And the scriptures, this is found in 1 Chronicles, if you're taking notes, 1 Chronicles chapter 10, 11 and 12, okay? Also 2 Samuel 23, if you want a reference. The scriptures say over and over again, men came to David. Repeat after me, men came to David. And it says they came to him to help him in the war, right? And their help was not just help. The scripture defines their help as strong support. Not just support, but strong support. The Hebrew word is chazak, which means to, to overpower, to be actively courageous towards, and to fasten yourself upon. So watch, here is David, and here are his, his men. And the men I'm referring to are not the gentlemen in the army. Specifically, I'm referencing the 30 mighty men. These were the, the closest to him. Among the 30, there were three that were head of the 30. These were elite SWAT team, highly skilled, highly trained men. The Bible says they offered him strong support. Okay? Now, the amazing thing that the Scripture records is this, that they strengthened themselves by strengthening David. It says they strengthened themselves by strengthening David. Now, I'm finding this a great key, and you've got to listen to me very carefully this morning. This is a key that escapes most believers today. This is a 
great and I'll demonstrate its profundity if time permits more clearly this morning. If you want help, help your leader. If you want to be strengthened, strengthen your, strengthen your leader. I will show you through more examples today how that, everyone say grace. Grace is the compositional makeup of God as a spirit being. That's what grace is. God is spirit, yeah? But His spirit has constitutional elements or compositional elements to it. So just like H2O is the compositional makeup of water, when you look at God as spirit, two atoms of hydrogen, one of oxygen, comprise this. It has composition. God cannot be seen. He is spirit, but He has composition. He has substance. He has weight. It's called grace. When that grace is meted out to a believer, it's given to you. Yes, you have the thing that comprises God now comprises you. And that thing becomes operative in you. And it enables, empowers, it pushes your functionality. Right? It causes you to function way above what is humanly possible or permissible. That's what great does, grace does. So humanly speaking, you can operate at such a level. But when the grace of God is increasingly measured out to you, and please notice my words, increasingly measured out to you on a consistent basis. You cannot just once receive grace and say, I'm fine. Peter says, multiplied grace be unto you. He says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you've got to mature in grace. I, I taught extensively how Jesus, from the age of two years old, the grace was upon him. Right? Two years old, the grace was upon him. And then after, at 12 onwards, he submitted. Everyone say submission. Submitted his life to Mary and Joseph. The Bible says, and he increased in grace. Tell someone, you cannot stagnate in grace. You've got to increase in it. Right? I'm finding people are plateauing out. And you're wondering why no change. Maybe you've stopped the grace download. Maybe you stopped the grace increase. Grace must progressively increase. Then the scripture says, at 30, after being baptized, the father said, my son, in whom I am? Well, please. And when John writes John 1, that in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. And verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory full of what? Now full of grace. So at 30, he was full. Now full means plero, pleroma, plerio in the Greek literally means impossible for there to be more of. If something is full, it is full. Can't make it more fuller than what it is, right? It's full, it's full. So it says, at 30 now, full of grace. There was a progressive increase of the grace content in Jesus' life from two years old, where the scripture simply says, grace was on him. At 12 years old, it says, and he increased in grace. At 30, it says, the Bible says, he was full of grace. <laughs> this is my desire. I want to grow progressively in Christ until I'm full of the stuff that comprises Him must be in me. The grace of God. Now, I won't have time to, to rehearse concepts here because you dwelt, we dealt with them methodically over an extensive period of time. I want to encourage you, when this is in you, grace is God's obedience enabling power when it's in you. It enables your obedience. It fuels, it empowers you to do certain things. But you must know how to access it. Do we all accept that grace is a powerful thing? Yes? Do we all accept that I need more of it daily? Yes? Do you all accept that it's God's enabling power for you? Yes? Well then, the only thing left to do is, you've got to find out, how then can I grow in it? What is the thing I need to do? What is the mindset I need to adopt for this grace to increase and in the grace series i discuss about 15 ways of accessing more grace for i don't want to rehearse that because we'll be here the whole day in reference to what i'm saying to you everyone say submission in jesus's example he submitted to mary and joseph listen carefully to earthly representations of spiritual leadership in his life he submitted to them at 12 years old 
In the Bible, there are 18 silent years. From 12 to 30, you don't read nothing about Jesus. In, from 12, it's almost like he goes into hiding. And the next time you read, he's 30. And there's one scripture that defines 18 years of his life. The scripture is this. And he continually subjected himself to Mary and Joseph. A single scripture defines 18 years. And that scripture is subjection, submission. Jesus learned the art of submitting to another. Tell you how to learn to submit. People say, I don't need a leader. I don't need a father. I don't need someone to speak into my life. Let me say, if you, if you, if you think like that, you're going to negate the, the powerful opportunity for growing in grace. Because Jesus was the pattern son. Jesus modeled for us in his earthly humanity how all sons of God should operate. The son of God became a son of man to teach all sons of men how to live like sons of God. So when we look at the scriptures, Jesus and the New Testament, the four gospels, is not just a nice book, four books to read of his earthly life. When you read it, you say, wow, he was God, became man. So he's modeling for me as a man, who am a man, everything I need to do as he did and get the results that he did. Well, one of the things he did do was subject himself and submit himself to earthly representation of leadership in the person of Joseph. And grace increased. Grace increased in his life through that process. David's men, the two of them, came around David and they submitted to David. They literally gave themselves to him. A Messiah, I would like to do a study one day to rank David's 30. To see the, the, the serious way in which these men kept rank. The Bible actually says there were men of protocol who knew how to keep rank. One of the great guys was Amasai. And the Bible says the Spirit came upon Amasai. And Amasai speaks on behalf of the rest of them. And he says this to David. David, we are yours, O son of Jesse. We are yours. Peace, peace to you. And peace to everybody else here that has come to help you. Indeed, he said, your God helps you. Listen carefully to the words of Amasai. Peace to you son of Jesse, and not just to you, peace to everybody else here that is coming to help you. One of the ways in which you ensure the peace of your father is to ensure the peace of everybody else that follows him. So a Messiah is peace to you, but peace to everyone that is here to support you. You can ensure your father's peace by prioritizing your brother's peace. Your father is at peace when all of his sons are at peace. But if you claim to be in the brotherhood and you claim seniority in the, bro in the brotherhood, I hear the terms like senior son. Well, if you claim seniority in the brotherhood, ensure that you don't just are loyal to your spiritual father and passionate about him. Your passion must also go to your brothers, the other sons of your father. So that as you ensure their peace, what are you subtly doing? Ensuring your father's peace. Because your father is concerned about everyone. I will be at dis-ease if Newman there is having a crisis on his hands that I cannot directly help him. And it'll give me great unrest. It'll be a matter of prayer. And I will not rest until he comes into his breakthrough. But his solution might be in Rakim's hands. And Rakim might have the solution to his problem. When Rakim brings him peace, who is he subconsciously bringing peace to? Me. Yeah? So when you take care of each other, you're ensuring your father's peace. And let me just say, I can then focus on more serious issues than to be bogged down with personal, private things. That we will always do because we care for people. But sometimes the answer is within the brotherhood. Yeah? Is among you. Right? Now, I said to you, David's men knew grace like you can't believe. Whatever David did, these men did, and more. Right? David killed a lion. One of David's men, you know this, this mighty man, I forget his name, I think it's Eleazar, one of them. The Bible says he jumped into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. Now, if you see a lion in a pit, it's a place you don't want to jump into. It's not like he just found himself there. He approached it, and he dealt with it. Right? You don't jump into pits that got lions in. 
especially in the middle of winter. Right? And he sorted the lion out. One of the mighty men killed 800 men. One man against 800. One of David's men. One man killing 800. One of his mighty men defended a plot. Somebody's ground. And the Bible says with one spear killed 300. David at one time was so thirsty. He was away from Bethlehem. The Malachites had it as a stronghold. He says, I wish for the waters from the well of Bethlehem. I'm so thirsty. And the Bible says the three might, not the gentlemen, the three mighty men overheard him whisper an intention of the heart. I wish for the waters of Bethlehem. What the Bible says these guys did, they broke through the ranks sorry, of the Philistines that had besieged Bethlehem, broke through their ranks, unaware of the enemy, went to the well at Bethlehem, got up some water, and brought it to, brought it to David. When David, when they gave David, David said, I didn't ask you to go for this. They said, no, listen, I'm just reading between the lines. These mighty men think like this. A whisper on your heart is our command. You don't need to say anything. You simply think it. We'll take care of it. At great personal cost, we're breaking through the ranks of Philistines. And you know what David did when he got the water? He could not drink it, although he was so thirsty and craving for the waters of the well of Bethlehem. The Bible says he spilled it out on the ground. It be far from me that I drink this water. The hands of such men, so loyal, so faithful, Great sacrifice. Do you know, listen carefully, Joab was one of the mighty, one of the 30. Joab was a general in the army. How did Joab get that position? J uh, David took Hebron, a city, um, and he conquered it, and he stayed there for seven and a half years. He had his eye on taking Zion. Now, Zion would be modern-day Jerusalem. But he would rule from Zion for 33 years, right? But he took Hebron first, and he took it for seven and a half years. Zion for 33 years. David's rule, if you do the maths, was 40 and a half years. Seven and a half in Hebron, 33 in Zion. Zion would be the ultimate place to proceed to, the place from which he would rule. Must get to Zion. But he, although he takes Hebron first, doesn't simply proceed to Zion. Hebron means covenant, confederacy, alliance, joining. It alludes to strong relationships. So David mastered relationships first for seven and a half years before he could rule from Zion. You're going to rule nothing in life until you master relationships. Right? Seven and a half means seven is perfection. Seven and a half means going beyond perfection in the area of mastering all your relationships. And you know what? When he was ready, the Jebusites occupied Zion. He didn't just go and attack. He stood back. David was a military man all his life. He was skilled in the art of war. He was not threatened by enemies. Right? Right? And you know what he says? He says to his men, Who among you will go up for us and take Zion? You would think David wanted Zion as part of the list of his conquests. He says, I've come so far taking so many, 13 cities in all, well, 12. Zion will be the 13th. And you would think this main city he would want to put on his CV. I took it also. But David steps back and he says to his men, who among you here, whoever goes up and conquers these Jebusites, will be commander of my army. So it's open. Everyone's standing back. Because it was a difficult enemy to to sort out because they, they mocked and derided David. The Jebusite said to him, our lame and blind will sort you out. Come and attack us. We'll send our lame and blind to, 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 to defend you. But David was extremely angry. And instead of attacking, he offered the opportunity to any one of his men, you go up and attack. And Joab stepped forward. Joab said, I will take them. And he went by way of the water shaft, the sewerage system. In our modern day terms. He says, yeah, we conquer them via the waterways of the city. And they went in and he totally routed them. Let me just say this. Did Joab help David? 
let me just say this. The moment Joab said, yes, David, I'm going to help you. I'll step forward. There's something on your heart. I'll take it for you. I'll take it for you on your behalf. At that point in time, the grace of God attended Joab to do something, listen carefully, he would not ordinarily have done. You've got to catch this. Joab is ill-equipped to take Zion outside of the, 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 the Zion mandate vested in David. Who has the mandate to take Zion? You've got to catch this church. Who has the purpose of God in him to take Zion? David. David says, I will not do it. I can't do it if I want to. But I want to offer any one of my men the opportunity of doing it on my behalf. The moment Joab stepped forward, he stepped out of individualism, out of personal issues, out of isolation, out of me, myself, and I, and he stepped into something corporate. Why? There's a divine purpose that David must have Zion. So the moment Joab steps into that, he steps out of his private ambition, and he says, this is something on God's heart, and that purpose is attendant with David. Therefore, if I do it, I get backing from the heavens. Listen, say grace to help. The moment Joab helps David, grace to help attends him to do a mission that's vested in the purposes of the Lord. Now, this is where I'm at. When you help me, for example, as your leader, you are not helping Randolph and Renee. You're giving aid to divine purpose. Don't see your submission as unto a man. See it as unto? See it as unto? As unto the Lord. You see, because... God will back anybody and anything that's intent on accomplishing His will. Unfortunately, His will is not attendant in a corporate fashion with everybody. God has a will for all of you individually, for your lives, personally. But when it comes to corporate jurisdictional matters, He always chooses a man. God always chooses a man. You need to get this into your spirit. Say this after me. He always has a man. Listen carefully. He's God. He can do what he wants to when he wants to. But without a man, his hands are about. He needs someone, an agency if you would, in and through whom he must work. Now, that man can be an individual like David. And for us, in the modern day, it's a corporate man. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an individual man, and it's a corporate man. Okay? So... Who is king or to be king of Jerusalem or of Israel? David, not so. These men say, listen to what they say to David. When Saul was king, you let us out and in. And, well, when you shepherded sheep, well did the word of the Lord say to you, you shall rule my people, Israel. So the men remind David that, hey, David, in reference to you, there is a prophecy. God said, everyone say God said. They say to David, did not God say, they remind, you know, I always remind you about your prophecies. How about you reminding me of my prophecies sometimes? The men say to David, don't you have a prophetic outstanding prophecy about your life? That won't you be ruler of my people Israel? Yeah. And they say to him, now we are to help you because your God helps you. The help of the Lord is going to be felt through us. And listen carefully, when the men locked into purpose, they locked into a grace download unto themselves that they would not ordinarily have attained or experienced. But listen carefully. You might say, but oh, that sounds very selfish, Randolph. Everything's about the leader. No, it's not about the leader. It's about divine purpose. I'm suggesting to you, when purpose becomes your highest ambition, and that purpose is attendant with the man to which you are connected, in your life personally, grace would come to accomplish the purpose but because you're functioning in that grace, guess what? Guess what? Things for your life that you need to accomplish are going to be accomplished by the power of that new grace. Not by the limited grace by which you function if you don't join yourself to that purpose. You've got to catch this. I am more successful now in a lot of areas because I realized that in reference to my father in the faith, Pastor Thamo and I do, there's divine purpose. 
if I can, remember Elisha washed, was it Elisha washed Elijah's hands? And the Bible says, Elisha ministered unto Elijah. And Elisha followed Elisha through four locations. Remember Gilgal, Jer Jericho, Bethel, etc. So watch. Spiritual son is Elisha. You've got to track me quickly. I'm going to go very fast this morning. Elisha ministering to Elijah. Elisha washing Elijah's hands. Elisha following Elijah wherever he went. And lastly, Elisha seeing him as he ascends. Four requirements. Seeing him as he ascends. He got double portion. Yeah? Double portion, whatever Elijah had was now given to Elisha. Do, or let me ask you this. Does Elisha ask for double portion arbitrarily or, let me rather rephrase, does he ask for double portion without reference to the accomplishing, accomplishment of purpose? Is double portion just for him to give him goosebumps? Woo! Check my skin. Goosebumps. Double portion. What Elijah had, I got it. Check, guys, goosebumps. Who wants goosebumps? No, is it that? No. Was there a purpose to be done in Israel, prophetically? The purpose that attended Elijah now attends e Elisha. But because Elisha locked into purpose, he functioned privately in that resident imparted grace that benefited the, the, the way in which he would fulfill the purpose, but in his life privately and personally, he got great benefit from that as well. Remember the Shunammite woman? Yeah? Who built a lodge for Elisha? Remember, he came into the city, right? She submitted, she saw a man of God, she submitted to him. She said, I'll do everything in my power to build him a loft make structural adjustments to my house to accommodate the man of God, which she did. And the Bible says he blessed her with a son that she did not really want. Well, she, she wanted it, but she did not voice it. When he said, ask me whatever you want, the Lord will do it for you. She says, I have need of nothing. He said, by this time next year, you will hold a son. Right? I'm saying to you, that kind of thing doesn't just happen. It happened in context of her supporting a man of God. It happened in context of her Supporting the purpose of the, that attended the man of God in her city. Now, tell your neighbor very seriously, this is a big secret. We are not deifying men. Neither do you worship a man. Neither are God's leaders demigods. But God has protocols and principles in reference to how he, how he works. Amen. So, I'm, oh, please, come on, guys. Say this with me. This is a secret. Beg your neighbor, learn the secret. Learn the secret, guys. Just learn and do it. And see what starts to happen in your life. Don't let this be another Sunday morning service where we learn powerful principles. We go out there and it's business as usual. All you are concerned about is your life, your purpose, your family's welfare. If you like that, let me just say this. There's a Davidic grace attended with a Davidic leader that you will possibly not experience because not partnering into to purpose. Now, I need to get to my notes because let me just illustrate this variously from, from the Scriptures. In Exodus 3 verse 6, watch. He said, this is God talking to Moses. I am God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face and he was afraid to look at God. Now, just stop right there. Has Moses... Have a will of God for him to fulfill in his day. Yes or no? Does he? What was it? I'm going to use you to lead off about 600,000 Jews from out of 430 years Egyptian bondage. You're, going to, you're the man. Tell someone Moses is the man. Before God gives him the mandate, who does God reference? Fathers. I am the God of your father, Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of? Jacob, no mandate is given to Moses until Moses first understands God's purposes vested in patriarchal fathers. What God is trying to tell Moses is, what I've called you to do in your time is not disconnected from prophetic promises I've made fathers in time. 
you are going to be successful. Moses, try and take all of your pursuits in life and connect them to my purposes vested in fathers. If you do that, you're going to be richly endowed with capacity, with grace to help, with unusual anointing to do what I've called you to do in your time. Moses, if you don't understand the purposes of God in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're going to do nothing very fast. You're going to try, you're going to try, which he did. Remember he saw a Hebrew, an Egyptian flog a Hebrew? What did he do? He got angry. He rose up and he killed the man. He killed, Moses was a murderer. God uses murderers. I was counseling someone in the week, and I said to them, David was an assassin. Do you know Uriah the Hittite was one of the 30? That saddens me about David. If you read the list of 2 Chronicles 23, it lists 37 mighty men. Chronicles says the 30, the Ashi 37. You know the math? Read. I asked you to read 2 Chronicles 23. I hope you have. If you read it, you will find the last name on the mighty men list is Uriah, the Hittite. Remember David had his eye on Bathsheba. He slept with her while the men are at battle. Remember? And then he realized what he did. She's possibly pregnant. Let me recall the man from war, called him back, and he said, oh, I've got bonus for you, benefit for you. You can sleep with your wife tonight and then go back to the war the next day. You know what Uriah said? Uriah said, never can I sleep with my wife. He actually said to David, I'm not even going into our house nor her room. I cannot do this while my countrymen are fighting on the, on the battle. But David said, okay, cool off. And he slept outside in the street. Yeah, read the text. The next day, David made him drunk. And even in an intoxicated state, Uriah refused. Uriah was one of the greatest honorable mighty men I know. He says, I'll never be able to do this. And then he sends the next day Uriah with a letter. Give this to Joab when you get to the battle. Joab was the leader of everything. And David literally instructed, put him in a position where it's impossible to escape. Certain death awaits him. David was a murderer. I read a strange commentary of David in the book of Samuel. It says, David, the man after God's own heart, did all that pleased God, comma, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. It's not just his covetousness over Bathsheba. It was a dishonor of a mighty man that honored him. What was Uriah's thing? Uriah's thing was, you have a purpose of God attended with you, David. Your kingdom is threatened. My focus now is on defending what you are ruling. So I cannot enjoy personal privileges when that is our priority right now. Please say this after me. Don't prioritize personal privilege. When public destiny is at stake. Come on, say it again. Don't prioritize personal privilege. When public destiny is at stake. I forget one of his men, I forget who he was, didn't shave. I think it was Adonijah or I think one of the two sons. David had two bad sons, Adonijah and Absalom that tried to take the throne away from him. I forget in whose rebellion it was, but David was a fugitive running away from his own sons who wanted to kill him. And one of the men refused to shave. He was in sackcloth and in ashes. And when David said to him, what's up? Why this? He said, I cannot anoint myself, shave, while my king is a fugitive. What was he doing? He was identifying with David's plight. That's a true follower, eh? Not about personal things, it's about global destiny. Now watch. So Moses must understand the purposes of God attendant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So let's look at the next verse, or verse 10. Go on to verse 10, because of time. Therefore come now and I will send you. Everyone say, I will send you. So I'm not sending you until you understand the God of your father, Abraham. Isaac and 
Jake, your sending is referenced and relevant to my purposes vested in patriarchal fathers. That most, let me just encourage those of you who have a call to ministry. The most dangerous thing you could do is to disconnect from an incredible, authentic servant of God who God positioned you in your life. You will do what you need to do in your time, but it will never ever be divorced from patriarchal or fatherly purpose or divine purpose rather vested in in fathers i'm going to send you but it's in reference to a covenant i've made with abram okay now let's look at psalm go to psalm quickly the same we're still busy with moses look at psalm 105 verse 9 to 10 the covenant which he made with abram and his oath to isaac verse 10 he confirmed it to jacob for a statute to israel as an everlasting covenant right now look that is the psalm basically let me give you some history about psalm 105 psalm 105 like as with many other psalms in its category are listing of the historical accounts of god's gracious dealings with israel particularly when they leave egypt they journey to the wilderness and they conquer the the promised land it's like a narrative and so the psalmist here is recounting stuff. Oh, he confirmed it. He, the covenant he made with Abram, the oath to Isaac. Next. And the covenant he confirmed with Jacob for a statute. Verse 26. He sent Moses. Everyone say he sent Moses. Again, his sending of Moses is not isolated from something bigger than Moses. Say it again. His sending of Moses is not isolated from something bigger than Moses. People think when they get prophecies, oh, God's going to use you. We get such big heads. Right? And we make shipwreck of destiny because we try and explore private destiny outside of a context of broad patriarchal fatherly promises. That's a dangerous thing to do. You will be more effective when you link what you, God calls you to personally to God's overall will vested in fathers. I'm suggesting, like David's men kills a lion in a pit on a cold day. David only killed a lion. But this follower of his takes what he does and takes it to the next level. David killed Goliath. One of David's men killed an Egyptian giant that makes Goliath look like a child. Right? Remember the stories? Oh, David killed. Remember when David went to war and he came back? And the woman would sing, David killed, what a soul killed thousands. I don't know how the tune went, make a mountain. Soul killed thousands, but David killed tens of thousands. They would chant, soul killed thousands, but David killed tens of thousands. The woman would sing that when David came back from battle. And Saul got jealous because of what he? Because, so David was tens of thousands. David was a man of military prowess and might. He knew the art of war, but what his men did made what he did look like a Sunday school picnic. Yeah? One man takes on 800 all by himself. Watch what the scripture says about Moses. Look at verse 27. They performed his wondrous acts among them. That's he and Aaron. The miracles in the land of Ham. Okay? Now, look at verse 37 because of time. I, want, I would like to have read the whole of Psalm 105. It's a fairly long psalm, historical account. But now, he uh, is referring to Moses. He, Moses, brought them out with silver and gold. Among his tribes, there was no one who, who stumbled. Verse 38. Egypt was glad when they departed. Bye-bye, they were happy. Go, please. All these plagues, you people need to go. Because of the dread of them had fallen, huh? Upon them. Verse 39. He spread a cloud of covering and fire to illumine by night. Now, they had air conditioning by day and heating by night. Because when they journeyed in the day, there was a cloud that protected them from the sun. Not so? Have you ever been in desert sun? Anybody? Think about 600,000 people journeying in hot sun. How did God insulate them? Gave them a massive cloud. It would have been wonderful to see eh? a massive cloud, right? Eh? Just hovering over the people as they journey. Natural air conditioning in a hot desert. 
God was the first air conditioner. <laughs> right? Then, you know how things sound in deserts in the evening? In the evening, they say, temperatures can drop so low, it can kill you. You can die from cold. So what does God do? He gives him a cloud, a massive pillar of fire in the sky serving two purposes. Light your way and keep you warm. Israel knew the miraculous intervention by, of God. My question to you is, who is leading this whole group? Now, if, you are Mo, if you are Moses, you'll say, wow, check me. <laughs> this is my leadership, this fire, this, it's all about me. See how good a leader I am. But look what the Bible says. Look at the next verse. Watch. They asked and he brought quail. And he satisfied them with the bread of heaven. Do you know in John 6, Jesus actually said, Moses did not give you manna nor quail. But my father, in case the people thought, this is as a result of Moses' leadership. But let me just say this. You can't take Moses entirely out of the equation. Because God does respect how he uses a man. So everything happening, I submit to you, all the blessings happening attendant with corporate Israel was because of their submission to a God-ordained leadership leading them through a hostile, arid, and life-threatening context, the wilderness. Right? You disconnect from Moses. Let me just say this. In this context, if they're disconnected from Moses, they have no... No, no cloud and no fire. Then the scripture says in the next verse, He opened the rock and water flowed out and, they, and it ran in dry places like a, like a river. He opened the rock. Who hit the rock, by the way? Who hit the rock? Moses. Remember God said to him, strike the rock and water will flow the first time. Which he obeyed. It ran like rivers in dry places. And lest Moses get a big head, the next verse humbles him by saying this. Watch. He remembered what? His holy word to who? With Abraham, his servant. That's an amazing thing. Moses, you are so powerful. If ever there was a mighty leader in the Old Testament, it's Moses. Which of you would like to lead about 600,000 people? And you're not just in a city. You're in desert conditions. And they're not nice people. They're rebels. <laughs> Moses was probably the greatest leader I think we ever walked upon the face of this planet. But guess what? I'm hitting rocks. Water's flowing. The, 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 the bitter waters of Mara, I take a stick. I throw it in there. They are cleansed. Yeah. I erect a bronze servant. Anyone bitten by snakes, Israelis, is healed. I take a rod, I hit a whole sea in it. Whoop. Hey, there's something in my hands. I must be a very powerful man. No, God said to him, you are this powerful for one reason. I made a promise to Abraham, it's got very little to do with you. You, what all you did, you just locked into my purpose. And let me just, if we won't have time to read it. You must study Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, God said to Abraham, the nation that will be born to you will be enslaved by a foreign nation, the Egyptians. This is early. This is Genesis 15. He doesn't even have one son. Isaac's not born yet. But God says to him, the nation that will come from your loins will be incarcerated for 400 years. But God said to them, after 400 years, I will bring them out with a, a mighty hand. And guess who's chosen to bring them out? Moses is at the last stage of global divine purpose that God gave to Abraham. If Moses can learn, let me link my destiny, my efforts, with purpose attendant with a patriarchal father, I will be the recipient of great power, do mighty things, not because of me, because of a promise made to a father. But I'm way down the line. I'm a son connected to that registry. I'm a son connected to that destiny I'm suggesting to the house. There's something called grace to help. Say it with me. Grace to help. There's something called grace to help. If in this congregation 
you stop living life unto yourself. If in your life you stop being selfish, stop being inward focused, stop being about me, myself, and I and nobody else. I say it again to you and appeal to you by the Spirit of the Lord. This is a secret. It's a secret to facilitate help that I found abundantly displayed in my life. Pastor Thamo will just hint or say something. My mind is already working overtime. How on earth can we come alongside him and like Aaron and her hold up his hands? I realize me, my personal, private Moses world can be richly empowered by grace if I connect to the purpose of God vested in a patriarchal fathering disposition. It's a secret. Exodus 17, verse 8. Quickly. Countless other examples I have here in my notes. Amalek. Everyone say Amalek. The Amalekites. Amalek uh, came up against Moses and Joshua. The Amalekites are, the word means, if my memory serves me correct, he will lick up. Amalek or Amalekites also means dweller in the valley. So the valley is a low place, right? The word Amalek also means he who exhausts. So it's a wearisome attack on your spirit that... How many people just feel fatigued for no reason? It's like, you've lost your zest for life. Let me just say this. We're going to pray. I've been experiencing it recently a lot. And I said to Renee, this is not me. I could sit at times and study for four hours at my desk and don't move. And now I'm doing it in one hour. Like, I need a break. I said, something strange here. This is a, this is a spirit of heaviness. The Bible says God has given us a spirit of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I'm telling you, who's been experiencing this to some degree? I, I've been, it's like a strange attack. And I recognize it's the spirit of Amalek. You know what Amalek, how did Amalek attack God's people? When they came out of Egypt, the Bible says they attacked Israel as they were leaving Egypt. They attacked them from behind. They attacked the women and children, the most vulnerable, exposed parts. And the weakest part of the corporate migration was attacked by a cowardly spirit called Amalek. Amalek are cowards. The Amalekites are not men. They cannot face the men and fight. They attack the weakest part. So God was angry. Watch. God is angry with them. Israel's out. Yes, they survived it. But now Moses is leading them. And the same spirit, now it's grown in force, comes up against them at Rephidim. And you know what Rephidim means? Rephidim means my rest. Whose rest has been challenged? Yeah? Whose sense of peace has been challenged? Let me just say, the exhaustive spirit, the spirit of Amalek is a depression spirit. You become depressed for no reason. You are sad and you cannot explain it. You are so low and yet you've got no overt reason to be. Yeah? I'm suggesting to you, it's a spirit of heaviness. Is as Isaiah 63, I think verse 1 to 3 says, He has given us the garment of, put on the garment of praise for what? For, not a, read the King James carefully, it says, for the, not a. It says the spirit of heaviness. The Hebrew word for heaviness there is weakness. Literally weakness. It's a spirit that instills like uncanny weakness within you for, for some reason. Okay? Now, so Amalek comes up against Rephidim, against Israel, to disturb their rest. Because when you are in unrest, when you lack peace, you lack sobriety, you lack soberness, you're imbalanced. You cannot make decisions as you ought. You make irrational decisions. You get, who's been getting angry quickly here? Let me just say this, when you're unrest, you start to, you have to function from a position of peace and internal composure, equilibrium, well balanced, right? If you're overly anxious about your needs, for example, you are in unrest. Do you know, I found in those instances, you are most prone to illness. Disease is when your ease is not set. Ease is rest. This ease means the ease is attacked. 
And when you are attacked, either mentally, spiritually, you know what the, one of the first manifestations of it would be? Is sickness in your body. So the, il- the illness physically becomes symptomatic of a greater problem internally. Right? So tell your neighbor, God wants us all at rest. So the spirit of depression, remember Amalek means dweller in the valley, the exhauster, he who licks up, that spirit is coming against Israel to disturb their rest. So let's read the account quickly. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us, good, and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow, so you go fight, my son, Joshua is Moses' spiritual son in the Lord. Let me just get that straight. Repeat this after me. Joshua is Moses' spiritual son in the Lord. So yeah, father gives a son an instruction. I'm not going out to fight. You know, Moses wasn't really a man of war. He wasn't your military man on the battlefield, right? He only functioned with a stick. That's all he had. What does Moses' stick represent? Leadership. It represents the authority of God. It also represents tribal configuration. Why? The Hebrew word for stick staff is mate, which means tribe. So when Moses and, let me say, Israel was tribal. Twelve tribes made up a whole nation. So when Moses held the staff up, God saw the tribal configuration of a whole nation. So Moses stands singularly, but when he holds his hair, his staff up, God sees a whole nation. And God sees my authority that I've given you. Remember what Moses said? I'm a stutterer, I'm a stammerer, me, I must go talk to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Lord, help me. You know what? When he gave 110 excuses for not being able to go through with the mandate, what did God say to him? What is in your hand? Ask your neighbor, what do you have in your hand? God said to Moses, what do you have? And God said, he said, well, just a stick. God said, I will use that as a sign of my authority and power and anointing upon you. So Moses' stick is no ordinary stick. Okay? The authority of God, the favor of God, the tribal representation of a whole nation, when he wields that stick, it's authority with God. Now, Watch carefully. So the spiritual father, Moses, says to the spiritual son, Joshua, you choose some guys, go fight against Amalek, but you're going to fight for us. Choose men for us. Tomorrow I will station myself where? On top of the hill with what in my hand? Come on, what in my hand? The same stick or staff. You go fight in the valley with them, but I will position myself on top of a mountain and I will have this authority in my hand. And so he goes. You know the story, but let's just read it for the sake of those of you who don't know the details. Moses did as Moses, sorry, Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought against Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill. So Moses and her make a decision. We're not going to go fight and support Joshua. We're going to go stand with our father as he stands before the Lord on top of the mount. Then it says, watch verse 11. It came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed, right? But Moses' hands were heavy. They took, then they took a stone and they put it under him to prop him up. He's getting tired. Battle's going on a bit long, right? And he sat on it, Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. Verse 13. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Amalek's destroyed. The Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly block out the memory of Amalek from under the, the heavens. Moses built an altar there. And named it, the Lord is what? You've got to catch this, great brethren. Let me ask you, when in the scripture did God ever say, or a man say to God, the Lord is provision, Jehovah Jireh. When did that happen? When Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. Remember, a lamb was, and what happened? Watch. God pulled back a piece of his nature 
and he revealed it to Abraham. He said, Abraham, see my nature as provider. Another question. When in the scripture that God ever said to a man, or the man say out of revelation to God, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. Where did that happen? Who was the man? Gideon. Remember Gideon fighting? Those Midianites, right? Remember, you remember the story, guys? Right? The point I'm trying to say, what did Abraham need? Provision. What did Gideon need to fight Midian? What does Midian mean? Strife and contention. What spirit do you need to fight strife and contention? Peace. So God comes to him as peace. Why did God come to Moses? Not as Jehovah Jireh. Not as Jehovah Shalom. God comes to him as Jehovah Nissi. There's a first encounter in the Bible where God unveils his warlike nature. When God says, I'm Jehovah Nissi, God is not playing games. God is in a violent mood. God says, I'm going to reveal myself to you as a, as, the, as a mighty warrior. I'm going to do battle against this Amalek. In fact, God was so serious. God said to him, Moses, you write this down in case they forget. I am personally going to blot out the memory of Amalek from the face of the earth. They will not be remembered anymore for what they did to my people Israel. Right? So God is in a warfaring mood. Now, come on, church. I really want to encourage you. God is about to do warfare on behalf of our church. I sense him here this morning. I sense him very strongly. There are certain battles for which you're going to need divine aid. You cannot confront it by yourself. In fact, I'm sensing right now, some of you are going through some issues for which God needs to overtly and violently display his military might. Because there's, there's some enemies that you're fighting for too long and God says, I've had enough. Now, I'm picking up the mood of God. God is saying, on your behalf, son of God, I am sick to my gills of that enemy that's assailing you. I am now rising up. But let me just say this. You are not going to get a revelation of the Lord, my banner, which is Jehovah Nissi, this man of war, until you have all the factors in place. You've got to have your leader, representative with his staff in his hand. When Moses' hands are up, Joshua is prevailing. When he gets tired, his hands drop, the Amalekites prevail. So the sword of Joshua's effectiveness in battle is directly linked to the position of Moses' hands on a mountain. Yeah? What does Aaron and her do? Aaron and her says, let us take our position. They do two things. Listen carefully what they do. Everyone say a stone. They take a stone and they prop him up. Now, I discovered this recently. The Hebrew word for son, everyone say son, is Ben, builder of the family name, Hebrew. The Hebrew word for stone is Eben, Eben. So it's Ben, but with an E before. The root of Eben is Ben, which means sonship. So what props Moses up? Sonship. Everyone say sonship. If you, if you get your sonship right in reference to your spiritual leader, guess what? It makes your leader strong. But when you strengthen your leader, what are you doing to yourself and to your brothers in the army? You're strengthening them. And when he is strong, they prevail. And when God sees that, God says, and this is a prophecy to Gate Ministries, God says, I'm not coming to you as provider. I'm not even coming to you as shalom. You're going to activate something in my nature called Nisi. Everyone say Nisi. Say Nisi. Say it loud, Jehovah Nisi. God is saying, you're going to activate my warrior, warlike capacity. Come on, you better get at least excited about this. As a prophet of God, as your minister, as your pastor, I'm saying to you, I heard God, listen, I did not have these thoughts in my notes yesterday. And I, and I got up this morning, God said, Jehovah Nisi wants to be unveiled in your context. References. I quickly added it to my notes. I just added the scripture there. No comments, because I had all these thoughts in my mind, because I saw it immediately. Everyone say, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. Who needs some? Who needs God to fight? Now you're not saying, God, I need you as father to say how much you love me. 
Why don't you care for me? Now you're not saying, God, I'm disturbed. I need your peace. No. Let me just say this to you. Yes, he will restore your peace because this is an attack against Israel's peace at Rephidim. But I'm telling you, I am not resting until this God fights some major battles on our behalf. Everyone say divine aid. Her, H-U-R, right? (laughs) His name means noble, splendor, or white, clean guy, one of nobility. The root of his name means hole, a cavern. He we rode and cut into. That's the nature of the supportive leader. The other guy, Aaron, who is Moses' brother, Aaron means light. He who shines forth, shining light. The name Aaron also means a mountain of strength. How's that? When, 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 when Moses sees Aaron coming, what does he see? Light shining. And he sees a mountain of strength coming to me. David's mighty men offered him great support. Aaron and her stood alongside there's a noble man, cavernous. He would dug, digs into. That's her. And yes, Aaron. He was full of light, a mountain of strength. And when they prop Moses up with the stone in sonship, then one stands on one side, the other on the other, and they both hold his hands up. And so long as the hands are up, Joshua is willing. You have no idea, you know, I don't know what to do to make you realize more seriously. Tell your neighbor the big secret. It's a powerful principle. You get this right. It's in my best interest to hold up Pastor Thamo's hands. I will do anything practical or spiritual to support. Why? Because his strength is my strength. If he's weak, I'm vulnerable. Right? Listen, our, our trust is in the Lord, but God has set principles in place. It's in your best interest to pray for your leader. I've got six ways there, which I won't go into one now because of time. I listed in the week God just gave me six ways in which you can give strong support. Right? But I'm sure by the Holy Spirit you even know some. Right? One of the ways in which you can support is by praying. And I'll show you in the scripture how this affected the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And how he requested prayer from whole churches for his ministry. Do you pray for your leader? Yes or no? <laughs> you must. Pray often. Stand with me. Let's close your eyes. Lift up your hands to the Lord. Come on, we got to just engage your spirit right now. Don't be recessive. Don't be placid. Don't be nonchalant. Don't be non-engaging. Just lift up your hands before the Lord. And I submit to you that you will be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. There's a, a new strength coming to you as you in various ways seek to strengthen leader. It's going to come to you in a significant way. By the power of the Holy Ghost, I activate that help in the name of the Lord. And if you are helping up until this point, may it go to the next level. And I pray upon you the strength of the Lord. I pray upon you, you would know the help of God. I pray upon you a mighty man's spirit. I pray upon you, you will will face 800 singularly and you will deal with them. Because the the very grace is on you to deal with with insurmountable odds stacked up against you. I pray that be your portion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you will not just be a man. You'll be a mighty man. I pray you'd not just give support. You'd give strong support in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray this morning that you be fixated by purpose. Divine purpose. That is what we are supporting. We're not supporting a man. We are supporting divine purpose. And Moses, you are as anointed as you are because of a promise made to a father, Abraham. So Moses, connect your activities, connect your endeavors to that purpose and discover a new grace to help like you've never had before. I break the spirit of isolationism in the name of the Lord Jesus. I break the spirit of individualism in the name of the Lord Jesus. I break the, 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 the spirit of selfishness. I pray a corporate concern come upon us. That we would seek the peace of everybody. Not just the leader, but the peace of everybody. And I pray great grace and strength come to your spirit church. In Jesus' mighty name. I decree upon you. Lift up your hands. Come on. I decree upon you. The revelation of Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is your banner. The Lord is a mighty man of war fighting on your behalf. I hear the Lord saying, my son and my daughter, I've seen your disposition. 
I will deal with your enemies personally from henceforth onwards. I will rout the Amalekite that seeks to erode your peace. I will deal severely with the dweller in the valley, that spirit that incites depression in you. I will deal personally with it, declares the Lord. For some of you that have been dealing with historical enemies over a period of time, the Lord says to you, the Egyptians that you now see, you will see no more. The Egyptians that you now see, you will see no more. I am intolerable on certain enemies. I don't know about you. I have reached break point in reference to uh, uh, accommodating certain things. I think, God, I don't need you now as, yes, you are always my father. But I don't need that dynamic. I know I'm your son. I don't need your peace. I have that. I don't need uh, your, your guidance. You, the Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Roy. I don't need that dynamic right now. Yes, I'm sick, and maybe I need you as Jehovah, my healer, Jehovah Rapha, but not preeminently. Lord, what I need right now is a warrior. Come on, lift up your eyes. Lift up. What I need right now, that's my prayer. God is a, is a man of war fighting some battles on my behalf. Amalek is a strong, brutal enemy. But God, so long as I give support to leadership, Eben, put the stone under the leader by my disposition, by my attitude, by my sonship. Make my leader strong. His authority of leadership in his hand representative of the tribal community of this local house and others. Aaron, noble, white, mountain of strength. Let that grace be upon you. Let that grace be upon you, church. In Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Father, I thank you for victory upon victory upon victory in the lives of, per, of, 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 of personally of your people today. I pray that we will be contending with issues for a long period of time. I declare an end to that now in the name of the Lord. We activate your position, Father, of Jehovah Nisi, and we will do continuously by our heart disposition in reference to those you have placed over us in Christ. I bless your people now on your behalf in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.